What is the problem with the gambling industry in Australia? Money laundering, criminal infiltration, management turning a blind eye are now all too familiar themes uncovered by several inquiries into Australia's casino industry. But new emphases are emerging too around the ethics of lawyers working for big business and around the casino industry's whole attitude to regulations and regulators. The latest inquiry, run by Adam Bell SC, absolutely condemned misconduct by the Star Entertainment Group at its Sydney casino, said it was dysfunctional, deceptive and brazenly misleading, that might lead to its licence being removed. But there's a broader question being asked by some observers too. Why has the corporate regulator laid no charges yet? in relation to this revealed conduct, apparently deep-seated executive and legal attitudes about sidelining the letter and intent of the law. Well, with an overview of what is at stake, it's my pleasure to welcome corporate governance expert, Professor Elizabeth Sheedy from Macquarie University. Good morning. Good morning, Geraldine. Um, The inquiry found, Professor Sheedy, that the Starb Casino, based in Piermont, facilitated money laundering and ignored warnings about links to criminals and it treated the gaming regulator with disdain and it misled one of the big four banks. It's quite a brew. In in your opinion, um, is that enough to lose your licence to operate? Yes, absolutely. I think it is enough. Uh, and uh, I really would, you know, I really challenge uh, Philip Crawford, who who now leads this New South Wales Independent Casino Commission, uh, to take that step. Um, we've not seen it done before. Um, so far, uh, what we've seen with these inquiries is that uh, the regulators uh, tend to stop short of uh, taking away licences, um, and I think that's a real shame. Uh, I think it's really important that there should be serious accountability, for, especially you know for this level of wrongdoing. Uh, we need to see some consequences. Now the decision's due in two weeks, and of course Crown's experience before three state inquiries last year could offer us a bit of a blueprint. So they got a temporary licence uh, under very yes. strong supervision, didn't they, of an external monitor and with really hefty requirements. Now might that be a model that is chosen? Yes, there are, there are a number of commentators that are predicting that that will be the outcome. And similar sort of thing happened with uh, Crown in Victoria, Geraldine. Mm. You might remember uh, that uh, in that case, uh, the regulators decided uh, to put in place an independent monitor uh, to sort of keep a very close eye on things, but basically keep the place open. Now, I think one of the reasons why they did that um, is because there is concern if you do terminate a licence and, you know, that what that means is that you're effectively cutting, shutting the place down, at least temporarily, until a new operator can be found. And there is concern about the loss of jobs. Hmm. So, uh, for example, Star here in Sydney at the Piermont Casino, uh, you're looking at about 8,000 jobs. My goodness, yes. But... but the point, I think there's a unique opportunity here. Uh, remember, we are in the tightest job market in living memory. <laughs> so, you know, if you're ever going to take this serious step, 
now actually wouldn't be such a bad time. I mean, after all, the the Piedmont uh, operations, like in terms of, you know, restaurants and the the theatre and, you know, all of that could continue to remain open. We're only talking about um, the loss, uh, you know, the actual gaming operations um, closing down. So I don't think there would be... um, yeah, I don't think we're necessarily going to lose 8,000 jobs. And uh, even if there are some job losses, you would expect that in the current environment, people will easily pick up work. Um, Could the be, other it's thing a, that's a brave call, though, Elizabeth. That's a brave call. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, uh, how will we ever break through this disdain of the regulators if the regulators don't actually take firm action. I mean, think of it this way, Geraldine. We all have driver's licences, correct? Um, Many of us need our cars for work. But nevertheless, our driver's licences are at risk of loss if if our behaviour is too reckless. Can you imagine if if there was no serious threat of loss of licence, you know, the roads would be carnage. So, you know, if you're going to have a licensing regime, there really has to be some serious prospect that you that you can actually mm. lose the license. Mm. Otherwise, what you develop, what develops, is this culture of disdain for the regulator and a too big uh, to and, fail sort of thing. Yes, attitude. arrogance, and that's mm. exactly what um, Bell in his report um, observed. So, so I think serious action needs to be taken. Um, I think another aspect to all of this, Geraldine, is the fact that we now have a a change in the uh, casino regulation here in New South Wales. Now, that came about because of what happened at Crown. Uh, so in the previous Bergen report, and which, you know, so there's been so many of these reports, mm. um, one of the regulations was, one of the recommendations was we need to have an independent uh, casino uh, regulator that is free of political influence because, you know, the other um, story here is that the state governments are so reliant on the gambling revenues um, to support their budgets. So we do have now this new independent casino commission. I think it's time for them to show us just how independent they really are. (laughs) Well, one other call for, I suppose, independent activity have come from a couple of people, people like Tim Costello, who's head of the Alliance for Gambling Reform, who has been publicly saying what other company could be found guilty of such egregious failure, not have their licence to operate taken and face charges. Asking out loud, why have no charges been laid? I'm talking, I'm including Crown uh, in this yes. too and, and the Perth operation. So um, does, it, does it surprise you that no specific individual charges, criminal charges have been laid yet or not? Um, okay, so bear in mind, um, Geraldine, I'm not a lawyer. Mm. Um, so, uh, but you know, to the best of my ability, I'll try and answer your question. Um, I think uh, there's a number of different laws and regulations at play here. Um, so, one is so there's anti money money laundering laws, uh, and that's the regulator there is is Austrac. Um, I think we may still see some action from Austrac. Um, I haven't lost hope that uh, something might happen there. 
Um, then, of course, there is the uh, possibility of um, action under the Corporations Act, and that would uh, involve ASIC, of course. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting more into the realms of uh, directors' duties uh, and whether the directors have done an adequate job uh, in discharging their responsibilities. Yes. Now we. And also, the, from what I read, the um, courts have a very set a very high bar for individual liability in these sorts of cases, um, which, of course, all the lawyers, I'll come to the lawyers in a moment, will be perusing very closely. So, you know, ASIC certainly wouldn't want to be wading in again and lose. That's right. Um, and they, so we, we already know that ASIC have, have decided not to take action against the directors in the case of Crown. Um, the, the issue, as I understand it, is that um, the director, directors have a duty to act with care and diligence. Um, and it's quite it, it's quite a difficult thing to prove uh, that they did not. Well, we're talking about as sins of omission mm. rather than sins of commission. It would be much easier for ASIC to take action if I mean if the directors had been guilty of some sort of fraud, or if they had um, if they had misled the regulators, then that would be easier to uh, you know to prosecute. But uh, there's no suggestion here that any of the directors um, were fraudulent. It's rather that they just were inadequate. Well, you know, well, they... <laughs> it, it is a little more. I mean, one of Philip Crawford, uh, the the chief commissioner of the uh, independent New South Wales Independent Casino Commission, also did warn in-house lawyers because this is where I'd like to go now against mm. misconduct after the Bell report handed down. Quotes: It's a cautionary tale for young lawyers who will join large corporations. Do do not leave your ethical standards at the front door. I mean, there's some very serious sort of implications oh. about attitudes developing um, around sidestepping, uh, using things like legal privilege, which is um, oh. uh, privilege granted to lawyer and client um, in, uh, interactions, which you can understand. A, lo- a client wants to, to mount his or her case in the court. But that has been used, the argument is, to stop, for instance, the tabling of um, uh, commission reports and regulation reports that would have alerted the, the, the board to these sorts of problems. So you've got a brew here, um, yeah. which ethically is pretty compli- you know, pretty dodgy, I think. Yeah. No, look, I, I think it, it's certainly not the first time that there's been this sort of criticism of in-house lawyers. Uh, we, you know, I, I, Similar sorts of things have happened in the banks, uh, we, you know, we saw in the Banking Royal Commission, um, where very often the focus on the in-house lawyers seems to be um, trying to trying to find a way um, for a business model to proceed that is essentially... Um, you know, exploiting the customer, whether it be in the case of the banks through dodgy products and services or here with casinos uh, through, you know, a business model that essentially um, exploits um, problem gambling and money laundering. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, because it, I am just noticing, ASIC specifically stated earlier this year that it would not pursue 10 former Crown Resort directors and senior executives uh-huh. for breaching directors' duty. So that that is um, a bit of a precedent for what you're describing. It is. Um, ha- uh, I mean, nevertheless, 
uh, you know, I still hold out some hope that ASIC might see things differently in this case, and let me explain why. Um, so, first of all, I mean, the Crown experience surely was a massive red flag. So why weren't the directors at Star looking across at their competitors and, and what was going on and thinking to themselves, my goodness, couldn't some of the same issues be happening here? Don't we need to dig a bit deeper uh, and ask some ask some tougher questions of the executive? So, so that, I think, is a red flag. Um, the other thing that is a bit different here in this case is we had that very interesting story about the KPMG report. I don't know if you recall that, Geraldine. This goes back to 2018. So um, consulting firm KPMG um, pre uh, presented a very damaging report to the directors of STAR. Mm. Um, so they had that information several years ago, yet they failed to really act on it properly. Look, is it your in trying to understand this because this is clearly because uh, there are implications for the um, stars holding in Queensland too? I think, uh, but is it because there's so much money, simply so much ready money sloshing around, that people do get a bit dazzled, and ethical standards do drop? Is this part of it? Um, yes, I think that's part of it. Uh, it's, you know, casinos can be a very profitable business indeed. Uh, and, yeah, uh, I, I think we also have to look at uh, the, the role of boards. Um, I mean, good corporate governance would say that an effective board should be properly challenging the executive, asking those tough questions. Okay, so in this case, um, things weren't adequately reported to the board, you know, but I don't think they can really, t um, you know, I don't think that completely absolves them of responsibility. You've got, they have a responsibility to set up the risk and compliance frameworks to, you know, to dig deeper and uh, to, yes. to really make sure what's, you know, that there's, uh, that, that things are, are running correctly. And as the, uh, to do that. the law council says that lawyers involved had a professional obligation as well to ensure that their clients or employers did not falsely claim legal privilege. Look, finally, final question from one of our text lines. Um, why could not the government, governments, I suppose, appoint an administrator to run the casino until new owners are granted a licence? Is this an obvious way out for all concerned? Um, I guess that's fairly similar in a way to the, you know, the, it's a variation on the theme of the, uh, you know, the independent monitor um, proposal. Um, so I, I guess, uh, you know, that, that I guess would be one alternative. But I think it would send, to be honest, Geraldine, it would send a far stronger message if we just shut the thing down for some time until we can find um, another cleaner operator. Right. And do, that process will have, you know, the biggest, strongest effect on the governance of casinos in this country. All right. We'll see. Thank you, Elizabeth, very much for joining us. My pleasure, Geraldine. Elizabeth Sheedy, Professor of Applied Finance at Macquarie University. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.